excited about the Oscars this weekend, and Rotten Tomatoes Awards senior editor Jacqueline Coley is here to fill us in on the three things you gotta know before you watch. with do you know the footage I'm talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to imagine the studio was very unimpressed with its reception yep but um <laughs> I, I, it's just it, this is a new low to somehow yep. rope in Bill Murray to fake laugh and be like this is very funny yep pretty, uh, painful. What, pretty painful what else is in the news Scott Rudin is he's a bully Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a surprise. <laughs> he apparently smashed uh, one of his assistants' hands with an Apple like monitor. Jesus, what? <laughs> also, just like knowing the shit that he's working on, like, what are you fucking fired up about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what went so wrong? <laughs> for yeah, you know, I mean. Tantrum? <laughs> he, he's worried about the reception of uh, Joel Cohen's Macbeth. <laughs> yeah, he, maybe he just like he rewatched Kenneth Branagh's, and he was like, "We can't ever get to this level." And so he grabbed the first thing he could, and was just like, "Must destroy something." <laughs> Kenneth Branagh will always personally be above the Cohen brothers for me because the Cohen brothers are disgusting for. <laughs> For working with Scott Rudin. What a oh, sick yeah. group of mm-hmm. filmmakers. Yeah, just like, you know, I say ban them all. I don't care, personally. Ban them all, man. Nope. Con what? Who gives a shit? They peaked at Crime Wave. That's true. <laughs> totally. That was their best movie. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else has been... <laughs> just, yeah, just... <laughs> uh, pretentious tripe. Across yeah. the board. Oh. Just too cynical. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I hate watching bad things happen to good people. So, I mean, the moment I saw Burn After Reading, I went straight to confession and also, you know, talked to the Catholic Church about trying to get stuff like that banned because we shouldn't be laughing about anything based on the Book of Job. It's serious shit. It's not funny. <laughs> well, you know, if um, you take anything away from this episode, it is the Coen brothers are really bad. Objectively. Objectively. Even like another another team, uh writer, director, duo in the news today that I also just, you know, I think is a little too hyper masculine for me is uh Martin Scorsese and uh Paul Schrader getting ready to do apparently a three-part movie series thing for Netflix involving uh the um the the the, the apostles. Oh, doesn't sound interesting. 
Nope. Don't want to see it. I would prefer um, to not watch a Martin Scorsese or a Paul Schrader movie. One, Paul Schrader's too rude on Facebook. Two, yep. Goodfellas, only adding to the toxic masculinity in our culture. So couldn't possibly be excited about the team who gave us Last Temptation of Christ, you know, sort of picking up where Rossellini left off. Not exciting. Kind of bummed you brought it up because I was hoping just to never think about either of them again. But, you know, I guess it's our job to talk about current movie news. <laughs> yeah, current, yeah, just not a lot. That's not just not a lot of exciting stuff happening. You know, if we have to acknowledge, I guess we can. Whatever. But, you, you know, know I mean, gonna... same as similar to Cohen, like Scorsese peaked at the big shave. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not just you, Murray. It never got better. <laughs> Okay, so I don't want to go through any more news today, um, so let's just click out of that. Whatever. We don't, well, we don't get good things in this world. Just nope. bullshit, Martin Scorsese, you know, Apostle movies. Um, Who cares? Okay, before we drown in our own irony here, um, <laughs> like we do need to take one moment to uh, just really shout out to... Um, an absolute king um, of movie making. Truly, and truly. We're talking about Monty Hellman, RIP. Um, and a sweet fucking human to boot. Yeah. Do you want to talk about you? You actually met, dude. Yeah. He, uh, um, one of my people used to be uh, my boss, uh, Dennis Bartok, who uh, has been involved with the American Cinematheque for decades. Um, as a programmer, as a GM, all sorts of stuff. He also runs Arbalos Films, which recently saved Saint and Tango and Son of the White Mare. So, you know, big ups to all the things he does. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, he was good friends with Monty Hellman. Um, and he had told me this, which, of course, I just lost my mind, even the prospect of knowing him. And I uh, was working with Cinematic Void, which is run by Jim Branscombe, which is a cult series in Los Angeles. And we wanted to do what we considered to be the, the cream of the crop of the Silent Night, Deadly Night series, which I think pretty logically is one, three, and five. Um, I think if only for some like cracked alternate K-hole Twin Peaks reality with all the crossover at the time. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, it's a, the guy that plays Leo, Ben Horn, other their actors' names are escaping me right now. Oh, those are their names. That's the way it is. <laughs> Whatever. You know who we're talking about. Leo, Ben Horn. Um, and it even kind of even has like a weird Twin Peaks, like mm-hmm. comedy horror, like awkwardness to it. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. But yeah, so... um. Yeah, anyway, we were doing one, three, and five, and we, uh, you know, we booked number one and then uh, found a nice, crisp restoration that still hasn't been released of number five. Uh, Toy Maker. In the correct aspect ratio. Beautiful. Mickey Ro- was, yeah. Mickey, Mickey Rooney, Rooney just like oozing Toy whiskey. Yeah. Not even yeah. oozing. His blood has become whiskey at the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but then we got to number three, right? And there, I'd also recently acquired a nice HD version of that, but of course I was hunting for 35 millimeter prints of anything I could find. And Dennis happened to be standing by my desk as I was lamenting to one of my coworkers that I couldn't, no one could give me an answer on number three since it was straight to video. Um, And he perked up and he was like, Oh wait, dude, just, just hit up Monty. I'm sure if there is a print, he knows and he'd be excited, you know? And so I, 
hit him up and he immediately was over the moon. And um, from what I understand, I read someone else's story recently about uh, a screening quite a few years back of Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 that Monty actually attended. And at that point, the way the story goes is that he actually said he would intro it and talk, but he didn't want to watch it. Because, you know, it was, it was his one what he called for hire movie that he had done. Uh, but he decided to sit down and watch it. Lost his mind. Audience loved it, of course. And then became one of the things he was most proud of. And that's what he told me, is that he, he really loved this film. And he was very proud of it in retrospect. And he said, I've got a 35 millimeter print in my house. I'll bring it over. <laughs> so brought it over to the Cinematheque for the screening. Um, and he ultimately couldn't stayed to uh host it because he was too tired and it was a very late that was a triple feature that started at like 8 p.m or some shit so it was pretty late um yep (laughs) but uh you know anyway he was just an absolute peach and i had to do everything in me not to lose my mind you know speaking to this human and uh i just i love when i love when uh when filmmakers are proud of their shit that especially at that time still um you know, people love to shit on. So, yeah. And yeah, like you're saying, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic movie. I don't think it's even like a, in my mind, it's not even really like a compromise. Like it, no, it's just a good ass movie. It's a pretty (laughs) good movie. If people know the time and see it in the right, you know, uh, aspect ratio of good quality. I mean, it's a, I, I, I was so struck by the scene where, uh, Ricky, who, who Monty Hellman, I mean, ends up making the like main character from the first Silent Night, Deadly Night look like a fucked, like that fucked up version of Frankenstein from the yep. one hammer <laughs> Frankenstein movie that didn't have Peter Cushing in it. Yep. <laughs> and he's got this sloshy brain bowl on his head. And mm-hmm. like, he's, uh, it was, it's the scene where he first breaks out of uh, the hospital at the beginning of the movie. Remember, he slashes the like receptionist's neck. Yes. What's striking about that scene, and I guess about, well, first about the death scenes in general and that, they all mostly take place off screen. Mm-hmm. And when that scene comes up, and I, okay, and let me preface this by saying, I, I hate when people make this comparison with stuff, but there is, uh, I, no joke, something Brissonian about the way he cuts around that scene mm-hmm. and about the way he shows the hallways of people who are not essential to the scene, empty hallways leading up to it, the way he holds the, the scalpel is in its own shot, the duration of the cut, like b- between each cut, the way the blood hits. It reminded me of like the, the infamous scenes from Largent. Mm-hmm. No, I'd, I would agree with you. I've never, I'd never made the connection, but as soon as you said it, the movie and i remembered it and i just remember thinking like oh yeah it had these like proto twin peaks vibes whatever but you know seeing it in a better quality version really just like blew my mind open and i i would assume that there has to be a blu-ray coming down the there, i know it's been uh it's it's fucking lionsgate so shit eternally gets messy just yeah. like a, a brief moment of inside baseball, when I was booking those screenings, I literally had to convince them that they had the rights. <laughs> yeah, I mean that sounds pretty classic. With I was like, movies. "Yes, you do, man. Like you license it to stars <laughs> to screen, which is where these restorations came from." That's and where I like, thought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Uh, but you know, whatever. And man, I, Bill also is really proud of that movie. Um, he's, he's a peach too. And he used to come by the cinematic a fair amount and he, I don't remember why, but he couldn't come that night. Uh, but he, um, anytime he came around, he was excited. But once we showed that, he brought it up every time he came around. But okay. he was so excited. We showed number three. I don't know. I think it's really something special. And I'm so glad that you were able to give me that copy of it. Because, like, I think people will really respond to that and kind of wonder where this movie's been. I think, I mean, you know, I'm hoping, always hoping. But uh, hopefully they'll let their talons out of it at some point And Vinegar Syndrome can do the magic they do and give us a box out of three, four, and five. Yeah. Let, please let vinegar syndrome please and give to... them prom night two three and four we just just give it give, give them everything oh but i mean hellman we could you know i'm sure we could talk on all of them um we could the other like specific ones i wanted to bring up because they were so big in my life like of course two and blacktop i loved but yeah. the shit that really lit me up was when um and i think i believe it was in college but when i when i finally saw riding the whirlwind and the shooting like you know i loved westerns that was as as many father sons my dad loved westerns so we watched a lot of those growing up but i had never seen anything like that and still haven't to be honest because they're so (laughs) i think they're so unique but it's the i think again the pathos well think about how hard it has to be to make people care about the characters in cockfighter yeah i mean All in, you know, for mo- I mean, there's probably a reason why this movie's never really come out, but yeah, it's a little hard to watch because I mean, I don't get, personally give a shit about chickens, they're really stupid, <laughs> but I didn't want to see chickens kill each other the first yeah. time I saw Cockfighter. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, you have just one of his best movies, and the what he is able to, and well, not really what he is able to do. I guess he does direct Warren Oates, but really it's what Warren Oates is able to bring to that role because Warren Oates can do nothing with his face or just the minimalist thing. And I, it's like my heart swells. Yep. Agreed. And he doesn't talk through most of the movies. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, he's got to do a lot, but you know, Helmand does such a good job of just like, he put like the whole, you know, the whole movie is like taking place in like, really dingy hotels or it's in like backwoods like behind a barn there's an incredible like almost reminds me of like the alan lomax series he did surveying the american south and the music the american south in the 60s 70s and 80s that i really get in uh cockfighter there's a documentary like feel to um to that to the land the grounds they shoot on and it's 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 an intoxicating movie if you don't mind watching chickens just you know fuck each other up yep Yep. um and also i mean what like you said there's two lane blacktop what what do you what are you going to say about two lane blacktop i mean it's i mean i don't think there's anything else to add um great it's one of the greatest movies of american cinema ever taken yeah i would say no matter who you are like if you just sit down and watch that movie it's gonna have you and it's gonna do something to you and you know it'll even just what he does with james taylor alone of course <laughs> it's amazing i mean but the, yeah the whole thing is just it's just so special um, very special yeah, really movie. like truly one of the biggest treasures of not just american cinema i think like movies at large Tulane, yeah. you know it shit's up there no, I mean, Tulane, I think everyone's going to consider that his greatest accomplishment. My personal favorite, no need to go deep on it right now. I would just urge people to check out a movie he did called The Guana. 
Oh, uh, that's my that's my favorite too. That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. a more Twin Peaks connection. He loved him. Right. Yeah. That's right. Big Ed. Yep. Um. Yeah. I, I just go find the Blu-ray, the Raro video Blu-ray of Iguana. Don't oh. you don't need to hear us mumble on about it. Just see it. It's one of the greatest movies. I think it's just as good, if not better, than Tulane Blacktop. Oh, I agree. I would I would potentially argue better, but I yeah. do think it's also. Absolutely of benefit to watch Tulane Blacktop first. Yeah, and he didn't have a lot of movies, so you can yeah. <clears throat> you can barrel through the Monty Hellman filmography and you should because we just lost a master. And he is like, you know, he was 91, so it's like not the word I mean the, the circ we don't need to get into circumstances, but it wasn't like just old age necessarily. So it, it's kind of sad. And uh you know always sad, but um it has been cool to see you know, my boss that I mentioned earlier and other people, <clears throat> tons of people I didn't even know who knew him, just sharing pictures of them hanging out, you know, and you he's can tell he's guy. always, yeah, he's always just having a good time. He had an Airbnb where he just invited <laughs> people to come chill and watch movies with him. And he could can you imagine? Very happy. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah. I tried to book it. I tried to book it. Oh, really? I was, yeah. yeah. When I went to uh, coming to uh, probably when I first met you and we didn't know. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, I would like was trying so hard to go stay for a night at his Airbnb <laughs> um, because I, I Monty Hellman of that whole 70s pack, including Scorsese, Friedkin, Spielberg, Coppola, all, a lot of people besides Friedkin who started in the Roger Corman school. I think of that 70s generation, Monty Hellman is easily the one to me that stands out furthest from the pack in terms of he brought maybe for lack of a better word, the most like European mm -hmm. art house bullshit, whatever. He had a different way of shooting it that wasn't traditionally in line with, I think the American style that you were seeing a lot more from the other guys. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I don't use lightly the Brayson uh, comparison oh, yeah. with him. And he has such a minimalist way of <clears throat> using the camera, how he sets up shots. And an interesting thing with, Hellman is not even just these great movies we're talking about. It's, uh, I mean, a lot of the problems he had to put up with just trying to get movies made. I mean, oh yeah, China Nine, Liberty Thirty Seven, his should have been his like grand return to the Western, and it's a cool meeting of like American seventies American westerns meets you know spaghetti westerns because you have Warren Oates and Fabio Testi all together. Um, the super hot. Ginny Augeter, however you say her name, just forever. Never, <clears throat> I'm just, never sure how to say it, but I'm. There's like a bit of it's. It's wonderful to see so many of her movies coming out right now. I would say, mm -hmm. you know, with I start counting and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah she's yeah. she's just incredible. Yeah, Smoke Show. Mm -hmm. I, I guess we can't say Smoke Show anymore. She's a hottie, <laughs> okay, for sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so he has to kind of contend with putting a really you know not uh, appropriate Pino Dinaggio score into it that just really if you don't love Hellman you haven't like loved his movies it can really like undercut <laughs> what's going on in that movie nope. at times but where else are you going to see great cameos from Sam Peckinpah mm -hmm. and a tiny one from Jerry Harvey the guy who basically oh that's right yeah, he gave us the director's cut. And I believe he yeah. uh, wrote the movie, too. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. So anyway, China 9, Liberty 37, they're not going to find a copy of that anywhere. But but then you have like stuff like, did you ever see that uh, 
the movie he did in the seventies called Shatter. Yes. I love that one. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, one, yep. it's the last hammer film yep. for the studio, but you know, this is the end of the hammer realm. And it's also kind of like, not only is it the end of like kind of hammer studios in their heyday, but the movie's trying to make the spy meets Kung Fu thing. And it's like, right after Bruce Lee has died. So it's kind of like nobody gives a shit about the Kung Fu genre anymore. So he's, he's kind of coming at this weird place to like shoot this movie and he gets fired off of it. Um, and I know it wasn't easy. I know he had like a lot of issues with like uh, the scripts just being awful. Um, the main actor, Stuart Whitman, just drunk, chasing tail the whole time. Okay. Poorly run production. I guess like Hammer and Run Run Shaw, they did not get along. But, what a shocker <laughs> yeah, yeah you know two yeah. megalomaniacs get in the room huh <laughs> uh-huh. you know it, it's 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 not a movie that's gonna blow your mind but it's peter cushing's last movie i think right before star wars yeah and uh um, yeah. you know it's 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 an interesting example of if you want to see just the monty hellman style those opening scenes of the the um african dictator arriving at the hotel right before he gets assassinated have the Monty Hellman vibe completely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but he gets fired and he goes to back to working with Corman and he produces the movie Cockfighter. So everybody wins. <laughs> but yep. again, we can't really say, we don't even need to say much more about Monty Hellman right now because I think if you're probably listening to this, you probably also have a great admiration. Um, and he was one of, the, and he was one of the truly best, you know. That I think always showed up, even under terrible circumstances, his personality and his incredible eye and perspective came through, even if you have to slug through some shit to get there. And, you know, again, just a peach who just fucking loved weirdos and people who loved stuff outside the outside of the mainstream, I suppose. So we love you. (laughs) Love you. And to say nothing of the movie he made, you know, like 10 years ago, Road to Nowhere. Yep. Which is, we could go along on that, we won't. But I would also just say for people interested, Road to Nowhere is something close to like a modern uh, kind of masterpiece of digital mm-hmm. filmmaking. Yep. And I'm going to say it's right up there with your Pedro Costa and your oh, Inland sure. Empire. Mm-hmm. So, and your Michael Mann, so don't come at me. Well, I think we need to get into what this is all about. And you know right. what it's all about, and I know you're brimming over there i can see you just look like you can't you can't wait i mean it's honestly i'm just feeling a little weird uh because i don't want to make you uncomfortable with how turned on i am so (laughs) you'll all suddenly understand why this guy's turned on because (laughs) we're talking about the big night the big night night. hollywood talks about all year so now you sit down with your family for the first time of the entire year and everyone pretends to get along and enjoy this thing. It's the Oscars. It's the Academy Awards. The Academy Awards. We love 2021 them. edition. 2021. What a year. A lot of great class, uh, future classics. <laughs> Can't even say that. Um, <laughs> coming up. And... Yeah, I don't know who gives a shit anymore, but I guess uh, I really no one actually. Their their numbers are yeah, it's, wa- it's waning to like a pretty incredible degree. Um, yeah, I mean, shit. I swore off the Oscars 
uh, when I was a younger human and then came back, came back when I, you know, started to drink too much, which I think makes sense. Like, like most of the people, like most of the <laughs> Academy members. Yep. Um, yeah, well, they're back this year and, I will say just right off the top, the one shining thing about watching it this year is that Steven Soderbergh's ahead in charge of, I think, putting it on. Yep. What, what I mean, it'll probably still suck to be honest. And I love Steven Soderbergh, but I'm just hoping he gets like, I want him to all of a sudden, cause he can be, uh, he's so fascinating. Cause he can be like a truly insane, like unhinged person that would probably be terrifying to spend time with. And then he can also be the most like norm core planet. Yeah. So I'm hoping he told them he's in norm core mode. And then all of a sudden we're watching like Skitsopolis does the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but... here we are. We're going to do it. We're going to talk about uh, all sorts of stuff. All sorts of stuff. Nominees, some history. So everyone get your pen and paper ready because here's where it comes. We are ranking all. <laughs> Of the Oscars, Oscar winners throughout time. <laughs> We're gonna do the, the top, the top sixty-nine um, <laughs> Oscar upsets in history, and then we're also gonna do the top four twenty Oscar wins. Uh, Oscar wins. We got um, you covered every fucking which way. We're gonna do the top ten. What should have won. <laughs> No, we're not gonna do any of that. This might not even premiere on the day of the Oscars because I might not get around to editing it in time. But you know what the thing is, is we don't give a shit who wins. No one cares. No one really we all know it's gonna be nomad land, but who gives a shit? I don't care. So why should you? You probably do, but if you do, then that's great because you know, the Oscars is, like I said, it, it, it brings fathers and sons together. Um, it was one of the few things I feel like my dad and I, like, really enjoyed doing together when we were, like, younger. Is like It's like, we're going to watch the Oscars. So I'm not coming from a total hater standpoint. But, not, you know, I love, you know, I love the freaking movies. But I think what we want to do, well, before we kind of get into it, do you have any, like... Um, classic oscar moments that you think about a lot the shit that i you know the shit that i love the most are people who can't behave basically um because i hate the artifice of the oscars um any sort any sort of uh highfalutin high society event i'm always going to be the happiest if a rabble rouser just can't handle it (laughs) and has to you know even if only minorly but upsets the people who love the law and order of the whole situation so much so my two of my favorites not that exciting but christian bale got tossed before he could get in the door (laughs) because he was so tanked you know limo pulls up he gets out from the short walk (laughs) from the limo to the (laughs) fucking door they were already like no and then also just the uh face that our dearly beloved uh joaquin phoenix made when he was at the Oscars, but really the, the, the beautiful moment was in the interview when he basically was just like, no one told me I didn't have to come to this. What the fuck? (laughs) Just deeply upset that whoever his, you know, manager or whatever 
told her, I think told him he had to do it. And when he found out he didn't have to be there for any reason, he was just like truly devastated that he had, you know, spent that time. Cause I'm sure it's like, I've never gone. Thank yeah, goodness. You haven't gone. No, I, the, my two chances, I honestly said no, because I think, <laughs> I would have been one of these people I'm talking about, uh, except obviously I'm not a famous person, so it would have gone really poorly. So I think I decided. Well, not with that attitude. You know, to sit it out. Because um, I also really, yeah, the, the, the one true time that I could have, should have gone, I was, you know, too much in my headspace of enjoying Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And I was like, they had it right, man. You put on a fucking dress and you drop enough acid to where you're not sure if you're actually anywhere. That's how you do the Oscars. And so I probably would have done that. <laughs> just You just imagine being on acid and the like fucking grotesque Fellini-esque faces of like Access Hollywood reporters <laughs> just like descending on them. Oh, I can't. And even like Trey talked about one time in an interview, he was like, for anybody who's done psychedelics, you know that an environment change is one of the (laughs) hardest things you can do. And I guess the way they did it is they like, right, they got in their limo and they're in fucking L.A. So, of course, it's, you know, like a 45 minute hour ride from probably two miles away, wherever they were. Right. Um, Yeah. But they, they get in the limo and that's when they dropped the acid. And so they're coming up as they're getting closer and they're starting to peak right when they get there. And he was like, yeah, that door opened and we were both like terrified. I wouldn't have gotten out of that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's the, that's the shit I love. <laughs> I, I mean, one of the few, one of the only like Oscars that sticks out of my mind is the 2006 Oscars. And um, when my favorite movie won best picture crash, um, <laughs> Uh, and not only was that good because it had the like the song from Crash that has haunted me throughout my days of like on stage of them like with a fake car crash in the back and people like carrying bodies out and people like crying in the back while some dumb motherfucker just sings about something. I didn't um, remember that shit. I'm gonna have to watch after this. Oh, I watched it right before we got on. It's just as haunting and stupid, but um. The only the the joy of that night came when well one that song didn't win and uh, three six mafia ended up winning oh. for uh, the the hustle and flow song amazing and, song I mean, yeah and it's like well not only is it cool to see like you know three six <laughs> mafia up on stage, yeah. but it's like they're the only people at well at least for that night I remember and in my head they're still the only people that look like they actually enjoyed winning the award. Yeah, because they're just like, I mean, it's not like they even think this is like the coolest thing ever. They're just like, shit, we won the we won an Oscar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Their joy is just as pure as when um, uh, when they're hanging out. I think I think it's in Jackass 2, one of the Jackass movies, when they're hanging out and Steve-O eats the horse shit and starts vomiting and they're just like <laughs> laughing with all of their hearts and souls. Similar reaction. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. <laughs> Because it's like from Mystic Styles to hard out here for a pimp winning, uh, you know, the, the, the Oscar is pretty wild. Yep. Um, and then my other last favorite moment that comes to mind was uh, when um, the great Mike Lee's uh, Mr. Turner came out. And I think the set designer or something like that, his name was Dick Pope. And the, I don't know, some idiot on stage called him Dick Poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh, those are standout moments. That's the name of this episode. Is they called him Dick Poop? They called him Dick Poop. (laughs) Amazing. I mean, it's 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 up there. I mean, it's at least funny. Where it's like you think about like uh, you know probably the greatest blunders like um, John Travolta like looking like he's gonna choke out Adina Menzel. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into these uh, sickos such as John Travolta, not Adina yep. Mandel. She seems like a sweetheart. Yeah. Um, we're all right with Adina. <laughs> so, yo, we're t- oh, yeah. Adina, we're, we're okay with you. Just so you know. You should come on. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, so the Oscars, the big night. We're, we're excited. You know, we're, we're, we're doing our ballots. You know, we're figuring out who's going to win. Will it be Minari? anybody's guess (laughs) but we want to take but right now we just want to before we start ranking our oscar stuff you have to sit through this before we get to that we want to take us back to the year of 1926 to sort of bring us all back to why the oscars were started and it was because they didn't want people to unionize and you if you want more on that well keep listening um (laughs) insane dude fucking cops and oscars it's it's not shocking so no. anyway let me paint the picture for you all it's 1926 movies rule they're all the rage the public loves them they read all the magazines whatnot and it was pretty scandalous like on the one hand you have just straight up good time hedonism you know like uh, mild drug use and orgies then you have the darker side of this which involved harder drugs less consensual orgies and even some murder um you've got the famous fatty arbuckle case where he's accused essentially of basically being fat enough to crush a woman to death um he was acquitted um but then you have like charlie chaplin where he was you know he was sleeping with his uh wife when she was very underage that made a big stink and he made her get an abortion and there's even this one story um i remember reading in a book about the coconut grove where some studio exec i'm not sure maybe it was a star or someone but they uh, for someone's birthday they um put a naked woman inside of a frozen sculpture and the point of that was that over the course of the evening the ice would melt and it would eventually reveal this nude woman um holy shit shockingly she dies in there oh my god and a dead woman just flops out under like the palms of the coconut grove anyway (laughs) yeah it's pretty pretty rough stuff but dark place (laughs) yeah this is hollywood in 1926 it's a debauched place so when louis b mayor who's the head of ngm you know, wasn't busy like spit roasting and cannibalizing shit like Eric von Stroheim's greed or cheating on their invalid wives or doping up their child stars with speed and Valium. Mm-hmm. These, these big wigs were wringing their hands and worry of word of this kind of behavior from Hollywood souring the public's ability to buy movie tickets. And they needed to settle things like this ahead of time before things like unions happened because also what was looming was the laborers at these studios unionizing and they became worried soon actors and directors and even worse the lowly screenwriters would take a cue from that and unionize too 
Now, in addition to this, Louis B is trying to build a house to impress his like shitty kids and wife. And he apparently balked at the idea of getting architects and whatnot to do the job because he thought that cost too much. And so he decided to build it like they did the sets of the studio. But to do that, he would need the newly unionized workers and that would cost almost as much as the uh, outside the studio laborers. And, you know, crazy ideas like he'd have to do fair pay and, you know, pay overtime. So, Gross. so Louis and MGM's in-house dude, Cedric Gibbons, decide to use a few top people from the studio and then outsource all the rest to keep cops uh, costs at the lowest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little slip there. Um, just incredibly cheap bastards. And they build his dumb beach house in like six weeks. But the experience, along with the rising scandals, cements in his head that he can't let these other departments start to get wind uh, of unionizing because it would be in the best interest to probably unionize. But um, pictures were booming, baby. I mean, why would you want to change that? All their money was coming from banks on the East Coast. Writers were vastly underpaid. Life's good, you know, so people like Louis B. Mayer had to make sure they could maintain this very weld oil, very sus machine. So they came up with the idea for an organization to be formed in the studios that would deal with shit like labor disputes privately away from the public while simultaneously using their press engines to keep a steady stream of publicity stories going about how clean and great Hollywood is. And that their only like goal is to keep uh, making wholesome stories to entertain the masses with. So they decide to call the organization the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And I'm, the sciences part is a very funny <laughs> addition to that. Because they're, they're really just a PR firm. Mm-hmm. Um, not new news to, you know, this is not new news to people who you know, really want to dial in on the illusion they have worked so hard to create, but you know, that's, that's what it was. And so anyway, they throw a party to symbolize the occasion and basically just offered up membership to all their lecturers, pals, and didn't look too good to the rest of Hollywood. So they decided to hand out awards to pacify the actors and directors and writers and so forth to create this myth that they were carefully parsing through like, the accumulated work over the year, like with a little jeweler's eye, you know, and they're like really looking to exemplify the, like the, the, the titles of absolute quality. And, um, really, it's just a way to get these people to shut up and not complain about the fact that they can't unionize. And um, I mean, you know, the joke eventually is on Louis because the great depression is right around the corner. So yeah. none of this works in his favor. And eventually these actors and whatnot form their own unions and guilds and they get, residuals on the gross and you know they get pensions unreasonable shit like healthcare. um but studios famously retained copyright and that can't be understated because at the end of the day these guys can do whatever they want with these movies and but they even made a cute little guy named oscar um who was named after one of the librarians i'm sure a well-paid librarian at the academy oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is very cute it's just a cute little story um, oddly enough, a fun uh, rule in the Academy is that uh, if you're a down on your luck award winner, and you um, you need some money and you want to sell your little Oscar. You have to first sell it back to the Academy for one dollar. 
which who would do that? Mm-hmm. Who would do that? <laughs> anyway, they got their Oscar. They got their people to shut up. So the big night is born. The glad handing continues every year. And it's completely founded on the grounds of a man who wanted to pay as little as possible and, um, you know, suppress rape stories. So the Oscar reigns supreme, the emblem of Hollywood, nothing has really changed. So they, you know, time goes on. Um, eventually we're just going to fast forward a lot. They start running these movies like, um, the way, we do politicians or the way these uh, ghouls uh, get their candidates out there. And the guy who started this, you might not know this name. His name is Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a, a real sex, sex machine. Mm-hmm. And he basically started with Shakespeare and love this idea of like bringing the political mechanisms of lobbying people to give money to or vote for a candidate and bringing that to uh, promoting movies within a studio. So like, let's just say this, let's just say there's, um, let's say there's a movie coming out about a guy named um, uh, Joe uh, Bison. Mm. Let's just say his name's Joe Bison. The movie's called Meet Joe Bison. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah. And it's campaigning to win best picture and maybe you know, it even claims to have been like another previous movie that mm. rhymes with like something called like Chirac o- 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 Obama, something like that. I don't know. I can't. That's for the movie people to come up with these titles. But another movie that also wasn't that good, but was basically enough to like get it to win Best Picture, whatever it could do to get it over the rim. Um, and let's say the studio even puts out stories in the press about. The movie being, you know, this guy, Joe Bison, he's kind of a cool guy, right? Like he likes ice cream. And um, these are stories that are pumped out in favor of it every, nearly every day, ad space bot, just to like zero in on an archetype. I believe it was, I think I have her name here, Laura Olin, who oversaw Obama's digital strategy during his 2012 reelection campaign. She said, one of the main advantages of Barack Obama for example, was that he never had to articulate why he was the candidate of change. You could just look at him and be like, oh, that guy's different. His name is different. <laughs> this is an amazing like, quote from someone. <laughs> the way he looks is different. Um, he's wow. a different race from other presidents we've had. Huh. Yeah. So this is where a figure like your Harvey Weinstein really comes in, because this is something that becomes very essential to how studios get their movies put in people's faces. Um, And a lot of it really has to do with how you can figure out ways to make audiences come around to a story that is somehow to these people who don't exist in the rest of the world, what they consider the real world. Again, this isn't new, but you know what? Shut the fuck up. Y'all don't have a podcast, so I can talk about this. So Harvey Weinstein comes in. Uh, we don't need to talk about this guy. We, we all know who he is. Charismatic hunk. And he really gets ahead in the business. Um, totally a guy, very cool guy, has a totally working penis that he doesn't need to inject a needle full of Viagra into Not at all. Um, to pounce on young starlets. Uh, this hunk of stuff is one of 
the people to really create everything that you see today in terms of how studios campaign for awards. And I might add, he's one of the only five expulsions from the Academy Awards. The others being Rowan Polanski, which they, they kick him out in 2018. Great time. That's awesome. Because oh, yeah. uh, he's definitely coming back to Hollywood to make another movie. Yep. Um, they expel Bill Cosby, a guy well known for campaigning for Oscar roles. Certainly not a guy just known for primetime TV, ghost ad and jello commercials. And um, I think, yeah, so Harvey Weinstein. And then I th- there's another guy who I, I don't remember, but the, the other one being a guy named Carmine Caridi, who <laughs> got kicked out for ripping screeners for his friends. Are you serious? I'm very serious. We have to, all jokes aside, we have to get him on here. A hundred percent. We probably. I mean, also, let's be real. We we probably both downloaded his fucking screeners at some point. Yeah, I definitely got his copy, his rip of House of Sand and Fog. (laughs) uh... Holy shit, that's incredible. Like, this lineup of, like, you know, people who did truly bad dark horrific things and this dude like ripping on their dvd screeners are also so shitty i don't even think for selling them i think he was just recording like for friends to be like you can't sell that shit they like fuck with the color and all of it no yeah so i think that's where the watermark really comes in is by this by this just pig of a man who's out there uh trying to get his friends to see um the girl with the pearl earring you know (laughs) it's very funny (laughs) Um, this, he like, yeah. you know he distributed the black and white pan and scan screener cut of Brokeback Mountain and so he must be expelled <laughs> yeah you are in the same league as your Harvey <laughs> holy shit that's incredible um, and your Bill Cosby Jesus wow hey. yeah 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 um, that so that's all very bitch. fun and good and clearly that I mean the, I think we all know that's the end of uh, the sexual villains and um pedophiles and whatnot of hollywood so oh, yeah, everything's done we'll definitely never hear anything about brian singer or about uh the closest i get to indulging a conspiracy theory these days is the uh underground horrific young boy cabal that i'm convinced ryan murphy runs did you see his uh his hollywood movie or the, the tv show for oh yeah oh yeah it like the first episode is like a very wholesome like account of like Hey, oh, you yeah. make you want to make it in this in this biz kid you gotta suck some mm-hmm. dick yeah that dude that he's old hollywood you can tell too interviews yeah. with that man he is old hollywood not that i haven't you know i've enjoyed an output or two i will say but i do really think he is old guard hollywood and has you know has some shit going that i think we'll find out about someday and i think brand singer is under his wing or was, I guess. <laughs> oh, I'm sure Ryan Murphy was at these uh, boy pool parties. That, oh, yeah, come on. You know, he was in all his shows. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's just so funny that these are the people you're kicking out. It's like Polanski in 2018. It's like, thank well, God. I mean, you know, it, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, obviously, like much of Oscar stuff, you know, performance. Uh-huh. performance and virtue signaling because yeah. I mean, again like you said it has nothing to do with what he did do it has nothing to do with it he hasn't what when's the last time he was in the country <laughs> yeah since not since the 70s so i mean 
Yeah, I mean, good job, guys. You did it. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, you stopped. You stopped that. Do you um, think when they sent the email to him, they all like put the times up pins on at the same time that it clicks in? Yeah, guys, look what we did. We fixed it. We got you, <laughs> Mr. Roman Polanski. Who maybe we'll do an episode on the Roman Polanski case, be it, um, uh, you know, certainly at risk of alienating some of our more woke listeners. It's a weird case mm-hmm. and it doesn't excuse what happened, but. Oh, no, it's not about anything. Just talking about it. There's just a different, it's not as like clear and cut as I think people think, but whatever. We, we, we can do that another time. And well, yeah, we're not going to go deep on Roman Polanski. Right now, but, um, <laughs> it's hard uh, not to get on tangents in Oscar mode, man. I know. The shit, the shit runs too deep. This is just, this, this is, you know, what gets me hard is uh, <laughs> yeah. talking about the Oscars. So, oh, should anyway. I? Oh, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I was going to say, should I share my one positive Oscar thing? Yeah, because it's going to get Before we start going. Yeah. When I moved to Los Angeles, at that point in my life, I was very much, you know, anyone who would listen or wouldn't just shut the door in my face. I was ranting all the time about the Oscars, every, you know, whatever avenue you could imagine. And I used to be so, I had a problem being so obsessed with it. I would, you know, can't do any more with my drug addled rotten brain. But at the time, uh, you know, I would say to people like, give me a year and I'll tell you why the Oscars fucking suck, <laughs> you know, and I would ran rave on that. But anyway, so I moved to La La Land and start working in this world a lot more hands on than I had previously. And I will say the one thing um, one of my uh, bosses who shall not be named uh, one of the pearls of wisdom that he imparted on me. Um, we could call him like the, the crystal light Harvey Weinstein, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, anyway, one of the positive pearls of wisdom he did impart on me when I was ranting one time to him, he was just like, look, man, like one, you don't watch them. So why not just stop talking about them? Fair enough. It's always a good argument for a, you know, a 20 something boy who can't shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Always a good thing to remind us of. Uh, In Uh, Hollywood, that's the second option, by the way, to get shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, anyway, he then said to me, he was like, oh, do you, do you realize, man, because we worked with the Academy Film Archive a lot. They're, of course, the, all of the films that they have saved and restored over the years is beyond mind-boggling, right? You can't even... And going to those archives, the one time I did, I literally had to fight myself to not cry. Just how beautiful and overwhelming it was seeing all this shit. You know, everything from, like, fucking Pat O'Neill movies, like some great, great, beautiful gay porn. They have it all. Anyway, he was like, dude, you know how we do our... We used to do our telethon every year to like get the money to keep us going. That's what the fucking Oscars are, man, for the film archive. Like that is the that is the fundraiser that then keeps them going for another year. I just, you know, it, it kind of blew my mind because I'd never thought about it. But you know, it's that it's that I guess conversation you get in with yourself, like what you know, what is worth it <laughs> to keep things going? How do you go about it? Is there a different way to do it, or are humans are we just so fucking absurd like we are that that's the only way <laughs> they can guarantee they get funding is to put on this fucking shit show that I've now learned is funded or, uh, you know, had its beginnings in union busting. 
it's just very funny considering this is the year that like everyone's talking about like how we're like the Oscars are finally diverse and um, <laughs> that we have all these diverse stories and we'll get into a couple of them here at the end, but real quick tidbit. Um, and I didn't want to go further into this when I was doing research because I just don't care because I'm lazy, but the Oscars so white campaign was started internally by the Academy, which yep. makes sense of course, but it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, and, and yeah, of course, were they like, uh, were certain uh, groups not being represented? Of course. And oh, yeah. I mean, but it's just good. It's just good, nasty old school PR, man. It's like the end of spoiler alert, but it's like the end of Mad Men. But it's like, yeah. So you have like this whole like we need to diversify their Oscars so white. Meanwhile, you know, careers like Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, uh, Halle Berry's like careers just tank the second they win oscars yep it's weird so you know i'm not completely against uh this idea but i i'm just not sure a movie like judas and the black messiah is the one to uh to to do it um also we'll save judas and the black messiah because i know there's some just dsa people out there just like gritting their teeth just like mm, I want to do you know what we live in chicago we know about fred hampton i wouldn't claim to be an expert on it but we'll, we'll go into it so we'll, yeah we'll do it so, um we're gonna go back to another hero harvey weinstein just a man a real pioneer um also uh jeffrey epstein's good pal what a shot. Yeah, just an all-around uh, world's most hard dick kind of guy. So <laughs> he excelled at making sure the movies from his Miramax Weinstein Company were put at the forefront of what was seen and talked about. And it all really boils down to Shakespeare and Love winning Best Picture. For an example of what kind of shit Weinstein could guarantee one Best Picture through <laughs> yeah. lots and lots yeah. and lots of money paid at the right places. And he basically lobbies Academy members would start rumors about other studios very similar to a political campaign um you might remember some of our same dsa listeners might remember when uh bernie was tanked for these uh, exact reasons so, um <laughs> so anyway harvey weinstein um he's, he he starts this whole thing about starting rumors about other studios and he supposedly started a rumor to people in the industry and the press that um saving private ryan which was going up against uh Shakespeare in Love that year was only good for the first 15 minutes. And as he was going up against DreamWorks for the big prize that year, this was something he had to topple. And mind you, this motherfucker had already won tons of awards for mediocre mm-hmm. shit, like the English patient. So he stoked up the now common assumption that Academy members just want to see themselves as heroes or saviors and whatever they've chosen to identify themselves with as characters on screen, uh, i.e. Green Book, um, <laughs> leading to pretty brazen picks like Shakespeare in Love, um, which I Weinstein did sell to Academy movie makers as a movie about them, but it worked. Yeah. I mean, they love, yeah. they love that, but you know, this somehow this did it. So, and, but also around this time, this is very crucial is around this time, screeners finally were becoming available on vhs for voting members of the academy so that greatly benefited weinstein who could coax these people into watching this dribble in the comfort of their own homes so he's the first to really just like 
throw these copies out there to like clog up these people in the Hollywood Hills, like uh, mailboxes. So that night, the night of the Oscars, Shakespeare in Love, Weinstein walks away with about, I think like seven awards for this beyond mediocre movie and pissed off. I I know you, I know this is something we're not going to get into right now, but we'll love Shakespeare in Love. So it's based off, you know, he's named after yeah i've got a i've got a back piece that's my tattoo we'll save it for its own episode yeah it's the it's will uh will shakespeare just uh you know and it's like it's like a quote from like biggie underneath it <laughs> and, and on the bottom is gwyneth paltrow's vagina scented candle <laughs> yeah just to really seal the the deal of the circling of the drain of the universe. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're we're taking on not only that, but we're taking on every wine mom out there who loves a messy bun and loves quoting gangster rap lyrics um, oh, yep. about Bill Shakespeare, who was the first rapper. <laughs> okay. All right. So he. Um, so not only does he. He, he, you know, Weinstein takes the stage to accept this award, which is pretty unprecedented for movie studio chiefs at this time. But nevertheless, if you watch the clip again, big boy just comes through, knocks some motherfucker right out of the way, grab the mic. Yep, you can <laughs> very funny. Him. You can smell him in that clip. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, boy. So sweaty hemorrhoids, the person. Mm. But what Weinstein does change is the game for all other studios campaigns moving forward. So this um, playbook, this political playbook of negative campaign strategy proves a very successful model to follow. And it's used to this day. Um, A lot of his acolytes who came from Miramax, uh, one being Lisa Tabak or Lisa Tabak, don't know, don't care to pronounce her name correctly. Yeah, she went on to become the head of award strategy at Netflix who are oh shit yeah shit. yeah wow um who's spl- yeah who splurged on their inaugural feature beasts of no nation <laughs> remember oh, yeah. you remember that great movie beasts of no nation wow you know i had forgotten but thank you for bringing that back into my fucking brain <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> yeah um wow Um, we'll come back to Lisa Tabak in a minute, but, um, actually look, fuck it. We'll, we'll just go straight to Lisa Tabak right now. Um, so like she was recently, I think in charge of putting Aaron Sorkin and Sacha Baron Cohen on MSNBC to promote the seriousness of the trial of the Chicago seven, um, which is just another of the many movies nominated this year with a real penchant for uh, erasing or just glossing over parts of history so like you have Sasha Baron Cohen out there like waxing about how relevant the movie is to today and uh, weirdly enough his own Borat 2 gets nominated for like best adapted screenplay this year like and a, an actress too right didn't she get nominated yeah she got nominated it's I like, mean fair enough I would say on that but Jesus Christ, what a, a tangled web we weave <laughs> Uh yeah and so you know lisa tabak she like um she's got she's got to put up with trial of chicago seven and mank but 
she through her strategizing what she learned from mr weinstein is um she was able to get chicago seven six nominations david fincher's worst movie mank 10 nominations you know 10 nominations for a movie that looks like dead men wear plaid or don't wear plaid or that steve martin movie again you're being really kind <laughs> today <laughs> or you're being really mean to dead men don't wear plaid <laughs> Oh, no, and I'm not being mean to Dead Man. Um, I mean, Mank is a movie that looks like a spoof of 30s movies. It's like, yep. it's such a little, like, baby toy for these voters to get them giggling and, like, wedding them. Also, a- astonishingly witless, witless through and through. Yeah. Which is hard to pull off. <laughs> Very hard to pull off. And this is all good for people at Netflix because now this signals to producers who've been wary to work with them due to the fact that their distribution has an upfront pay system, which means that these producers have to forfeit their rights to backend revenue. That's like bottom line for Netflix. This is a big deal for Netflix because now they're able, they're going to be able to get these people to work with them. So, you know, and it's not just Netflix. We're not only just talking about Netflix, you know, there's, the studios there's a24 who um i think re only recently was able to really grab a foothold in everything because something like moonlight wins it gets a re-release which can make up can really make up uh for lower box office performance and it was the thing that helped movie like movie studios like a24 um sort of make spaces for themselves in this but um Aside from that, um, do you remember who made Nomadland? Amazon. No, it's not. Who is responsible? Yeah, who oh, it's that? fucking Fox Searchlight. Of course it is. God, I just forgot they were still around. That's yeah. why. I can't believe Fox Searchlight still exists. Yep. Wow. Okay, yeah, okay. it's fucking Little Miss Sunshine in 2021. God damn. Okay. So there, <laughs> so there you go. The other big player, Fox Searchlight. Wow, uh, I can't believe they're still around. Can't believe they're still around. They're getting they're getting Nomadland in there. I mean, they have somehow convinced America that this is the movie to watch. Um, even though I'd like to quote uh, Paul Schrader recently saying that that movie. Uh, I'm quoting his Facebook page where he says it's a movie that revels in fake poverty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Nomadland's out. You know, I think studios in the past relied heavily on running frequent ads and variety in the Hollywood Reporter, but now the money that these companies spend on digital advertising is really only a fraction of what they used to spend, but that still accounts for seeing ads for Minari and Nomadland everywhere on the internet. That's still a Francis McDormand staring straight into you, just going to haunt me for years to come. Basically, all of this is just given... Uh, way to to the way that movies are supposed to seem prestigious. I don't know. Maybe you think that's cool. Maybe you think it's fun. But like the Academy, going back to the Academy for a little bit, outside of the studios who are doing all of this, the Academy has to create certain rules because things like um, lobbying uh, voters' votes is just frowned upon. And they would never allow something like that to happen. So in 
order to shed ideas that voters could be bought, <laughs> my favorite, they created a stipulation that says you can't serve food or drinks at events trying to woo voters. Really? <laughs> Which oh. is easy because boy prostitutes are off menu. So, mm-hmm. yep, no problem. It's under the table. So, we're all right. <laughs> yeah, literally under the table. Ryan Murphy doesn't use menus. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no food or drink, just so we're clear. You can oh, not, problem solved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No footlongs for these people. Do not <laughs> entice them. Um, and aside from that, they'll frequently arrange dominees to receive like lifetime achievement awards or some special retrospective or something that stuff like somewhere where they know academy voters will be so more than likely if you're seeing like um like a charlie's throne retrospective popping up at one of these crappy film festivals it's probably a studio trying to uh promote charlie's throne to make her more eligible for oscar nominations I think it's about 300k that is spent on mailing watermarked screeners every year, um, which is funny considering how much these screeners look like shit. But most studios will pay up to somewhere around 15 million just to market for the Academy. Incredible. In addition, they have to have some stars create special social media presences. Uh, They have to fly them all over to go on talk shows and all this. So budgeting out campaigning is a significant part of a studio's budget. Yeah, like I said, it amounts in the cases of tens of millions. Um, And the award season consultants who lead these campaigns also make very hefty fees for keeping spreadsheets on voters. And they receive even bigger bonuses when a movie wins awards. So I don't know, not that like anyone was curious or thought otherwise, but like it comes down to money. It comes down to as you said, on the bright side, keeping the archive going because you need money for that. But on the other hand, it's At just... what cost? Yeah, it's created something very akin to our political system where money, lobbying, basically taken over. We warned you in a previous episode that you're going to have to take a couple of vitamins coming up here. <laughs> so this is... You're getting uh, your riboflavin or whatnot right now. So... um a lot of people talk about what it means for actors to be able to get roles and everything. But as we mentioned, the afterlife of um, an individual's career, once they win, um, doesn't really mean much for the actor. I mean, it's the studio that generally benefits the most. And it is a classic example that there are people we don't like in this world and That might be the case, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the power structure. And they are moving a lot of pieces around to be able to keep these things out of their hair. It hasn't changed that much since 1926. You look at Halle Berry, Winsford Monsters Ball. She talks not lovingly about how there were no great offers coming across her agent's desk at that point. Her career tanked. Cuba Gooding Jr., Jerry Maguire. We're not just saying black actors are the only ones bitten by this curse. After winning, there is um, uh, whatever. I can't even... The goop, I don't know. Gwyneth Paltrow. Is that what she calls her shit? I think it's goop. Whatever. Gwyneth Paltrow. Call it like, you know, vagina candle purveyor. Yeah, <laughs> vagina candle. I didn't... Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll do another episode about Gwyneth. But um, 
<laughs> her career took a major nosedive for a little bit after winning for Shakespeare in Love. And yeah. I don't know, could this have been that she rebuffed uh, Harvey Weinstein famously, I think when she uh, talked about that to the New York Times or whatever, but all of this, you know, it definitely mm-hmm. leads to a lot of things to help resuscitate the Academy. And this was kind of where we we're going to leave off for the rest of this um, in terms of my little history lesson here. But the Oscars So White campaign, not created by some lovely Twitter user out there, was actually created within the Academy. And lest you think this is truly them trying to like make up for the wrongs that they've committed throughout their life in terms of like representation, it ain't that. This is simply a way to keep the money pouring because their viewership is tanking. And of course, it's just business, business as usual. And what a better time for to do it than when Trump gets elected. So every ghoul out there has to turn face to not seem as bad as that dude. And they go about for making up for years, the, you know, you know, it's it somehow they give the impression that this is going to kind of single-handedly uh, make up for devastated communities of color. And nakedly exemplified with green book 2019 the epitome of what these goons really go for and how they see themselves and i don't know when it comes to the i i I could really give a shit it's the oscars you know i don't care who they give awards to i i don't take any special relish in being upset that scorsese didn't win for raging bull you know it's like at the end of the day this ridiculous like diversifying thing i don't see as some slight to the purity of the academy awards and nor do i see it as like a heroic correction i think when it comes though when you're talking about someone like fred hampton and an accurate portrayal of someone like a black radical coming into the award season this year i do see that there could be a bit of a problem with that And let's take this as an opportunity to dive in quickly. Yeah, let's do it. We'll just rapid fire go through. Yeah, through your favorite movie of the year, Judas and the Black Messiah. (laughs) Now, I just finished rewatching it, uh, or finishing it, because I couldn't make it through the first time. But um, my first impressions really are, not sure who directed this. I know it was Shaka King, but I like Lakeith Stanfield. I didn't quite understand what he was doing as this character who is supposed to be very one note and like someone who like is apathetic politically and is going to give up his friend, but he's just prone to all these ticks and everything. And it's not Lakeith Stanfield's fault. I think he's doing as best as he can with the material, but he's not directed particularly well. The script is extremely muddled. It's by those Lucas brothers guys, yep. like cartoon network dudes. Like what? Yep. Um, <laughs> It has no sense of Chicago, of the community out here, (laughs) of the every scene with someone with the fist going in the air rings hollow. And it's not because I'm a crank. It's because it's not shot or imbued with anything of radicalness. It can does in a way completely undermined through just leaving out certain details what was going on with the Black Panthers in that time and what's going on with um, Fred Hampton, what he's able to do. And also like 
I mean, I, I think Dave Kerr was like talking about this, but he's right. There's no mention, hardly any mention of Richard Daly, the mayor. Yeah, and, just like uh, fucking one-off jokes. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's shot like a crime thriller. You know, it's not like Daily Pig or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think he says it once. And it's just like, well, I think that's a big part of the story. And the Chicago police are uh, maybe worse than the FBI. I mean, the FBI can suck my dick, too. But like Chicago, that was just daily in the CPD. Yeah, exactly. It was. Yeah. (laughs) I know Hoover had something to do with it, too. But just it, it really tries to make this like thing about the FBI being the real villain. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know they're all in fucking bed together and fuck them all yes but it's yeah. crazy how much that movie lets the the villains that were in Chicago off the hook yeah 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 and it's it's just very um it's not well done it's just like I'm not one to like I'm not one to say that I think that like movies with black actors and you depict like gun violence and stuff is like I don't believe that that leads to like stereotyping the community like violence is a part of it's a thing that's always going to be the thing that draws people to movies and everyone should be able to blow up get shot mutilate whoever they want on screen but for a movie that's trying to be about black radicalism it is really hard to get past that it's just going through these like stereotypical notions of what your grandma thinks the black panthers were Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, we're, we're in a, we're in a pretty, uh, we're in a very sensitive year here and there's probably been a worse one coming up. So like, certainly we've seen a lot going on with the Chicago police in our city right now. And we've seen a lot throughout the country. And um, I'm not saying that this movie is going to like uh, ruin the world, but I, I think it will misinform people who, if you're making a movie about black radicals, you have to adhere to some things. And we are not the type of people that are like, Oh, it's missing. You know, it's not, it doesn't have this. It needs to have that. Why doesn't it have this? Like it's a no. book adaptation when it, we don't give a shit. Like I, I understand that you have to cut things. You have to do change things for narrative reasons. But when you're dealing with history and you're dealing with something that should be represented more accurately on screen there's a there's it's a the same shit like they don't there's no like it's a true misunderstanding and lack of respect seemingly anyway obviously i do not know the people who made these movies but seemingly like a, a fundamental lack of understanding and respect for the people they are making these movies about supposedly and that blew my mind like i just got sad watching judas <laughs> i did too it made me actually not feel well no and not like not the way they think where i'm like wow what a you know rah, rah, rah. not that at all it was quite the opposite i was like i'm pretty devastated that and i think i'm forgetting his name what's his name daniel who plays fred uh oh um anyway him him and lakeith stanfield i think both do something almost amazing with how little they're given but that's part of just what makes it so sad. They're barely given anything. I feel like they're given, you've heard of them, right? Do that. <laughs> Except yeah. that's not even that's not even right either, though, because it's not even it has nothing to do with the real people at the end of the day. It doesn't. It doesn't. 
It really doesn't. And uh, it's just fucking and, sad, man. And with the the audacity of a title like that, and then to deliver such a white bread, um, I guess that's the wrong way to say it, but such a, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? No, such a not. fucking milk toast movie. Yeah. Not only is it poorly made, it just completely like, um, it does change what they're ta- the story they're telling, and um, I don't know. In the just, moment, like, tell me, tell me if you know this to be true and i just don't again like you said at the beginning i'm not here to pretend i'm a fred hampton expert or a black panthers in illinois expert by any stretch but when it gets to the scene right that we've all seen in the incredible documentary murder fred hampton great documentary watch everyone please watch that it's free online it's everywhere chicago filmmakers just did a thing for it yeah beautiful incredible stuff watch that when it gets to the scene where the cops come and the moment happens, right? Shootout happens, and then we have that really, really ugly, like poorly shot close up um, with his partner while it's on her face. But you hear the cops say, and I'm, I, I should have written it down, but essentially one of them is like, oh, this one's still got some life in him. And then you hear pew, 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 and says, well, not anymore, or whatever. That is not based in any sort of fact, right? That's not from anything. Think- again, I'm not an expert obviously but anything i've ever read seen heard from people who do know about these things and who are not myself a white kid from southern illinois i've never heard mention of this and to add that cheapness to it really to me like oh my god it just hurts so much because that suggests that what happened already isn't bad enough yes right like adding that sort of like bullshit easy like lazy shit to it suggests there wasn't evil enough happening already and when that happened i just wanted to like you know i mean i won't break my tv because it's the only thing i do but it made me want to just like burn the fucking world down because i was like wait why would you why would you pretend that this isn't outrageous already were you not convinced that what was happening before was not like uh enough to get pissed off over yeah i'm with you it's, I just it's, don't know. I, I just got, I was really sad about it. And that's how I feel. <laughs> I'm not like even mad. With, I feel like that's what they do with Lakeith Stanfield. It's like, you can't. They, that's, they an, that's a very interesting idea to yeah. do it and tell it through that lens. Super interesting. Incredibly like, uh, you know, ripe territory to like bring something new to this, but they don't develop anything. You don't know anything about what he stands for. And I know that whole point is he's like, acts like he's politically not yeah, but that's bullshit. <laughs> but it's it's comically caricatured it's like so yep. what is this character if not just someone you wrote down to represent a real figure like it doesn't at all register as as human okay let's I, i'm gonna let's move on we'll keep going <laughs> okay what else we'll, do we want to okay you you ran to get something real quick here well disagree with me if you want but i feel like we should truly still save promising young woman for its own episode we can say promising young woman, but let us just say that we stand a movie that says uh, instead of getting revenge on your gang rapists, teach them a lesson, let the ones off who show remorse, and at the end of the day, call the fucking cops. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the thesis. We'll we'll come back to promising young woman. That's perfect. That's yeah. what we'll. <laughs> yeah. That's what we'll say for now. Um, okay. Let's see. So I, yeah, I did do all of these. Um, I'm going to save the one I actually have positive shit to say about till the end. 
Okay. Because there was finally, well, one and a half, I would say. Okay. I don't know if we need to, do we need to fuck around with Nomadland? I don't um, think we need to even talk about Nomadland. I don't think we need to. You guys know how we feel at this point. You get it. We don't like yeah. it. It's just crappy. Do, you, do your own research, whatever. I will just say, like, kind of in line with how you were detailing <clears throat> how dark and sadistic and, like, agro-capitalist the history of this award ceremony is. Um, <laughs> I think that applies here. <laughs> I know. would say so. Yeah. I say it applies. Yeah. It's just that. Yeah, um, that shit. Anyway, okay, let's do. Um, we already manked a bit. We've manked, um, we're manked out. Minari, I will actually say that's my one and a half, right? So Minari is my half. I would say I was like fine with this movie, right? Like at the end of the day, I was like, I'm not mad you exist. You're going to get a lot of people. Uh, you know, whether my mom or otherwise, like to watch a movie with subtitles and that's dope, right? Like I was at peace with it, but I was real pissy about the ending. Um, mm. To me, the first time and the second time I watched it felt just a little too easy for something that I, uh, my, you know, my cultural experience, my life experience, nothing to relate to outside of coming from farmers and all this shit, but I don't know. Like, I think, I think Minari, I'm, we're okay. <laughs> That's what I'm coming to. I think I'm, I think I will admit that I did not fully understand what it's, what it was trying to do with that ending. Um, but you know, what do you think about Minari? <laughs> I will simply boil Minari down to, I fell asleep during it. And uh, other than that, nothing about the movie stood out to me. But again, I don't, I fell asleep, you know, I don't, I'm not the, I'm sure it's a fine movie. I mean, I, I tried, don't have an issue with Korean people, not that at all. It's, it was a, I just could not get into this movie, but. Sound of Metal. Um, I will, I'm going to let you take this one because I did not see Sound of Metal. I'm not going to. That's my, all I got to say on it. But you I will ahead. open. I will open with my very uh, the the very shallow truth of the matter um, <laughs> is that Riz uh, Riz Ahmed is really hot. So um, that's mostly what kept me going. Is okay. I I think he is like truly dangerously attractive. He's the as right now, right? I'm in a committed relationship. Um, he's the kind of guy that if I saw him at a bar and he made eye contact with me, I would immediately sprint out of that bar and get home as fast as I could, because I know if I didn't, I would be, you know, whether it's in the bathroom stall or out back by the dumpster, we'd be getting into some shit. I mean, really whatever he wants. <laughs> a glowing endorsement to throw on the uh, poster for sound. I, I feel about sound of metal. And then I guess last we have the movie that, in my opinion, makes Judas and the Black Messiah look like borderline a well-researched documentary, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Mm. God damn it. This fucking dude. <laughs> Supposedly about the trial of the Chicago 7, but I don't think it is at all. Well, I didn't, I yeah, I didn't seem to get the part about that. I missed the whole part that took part in Chicago. So Yeah, there's no... no. This very, one, uh, very shiny, clean-looking movie. Yeah. It's Again, I don't think I finished like, it, actually. I think I... I mean, you know what happened in real life, and it's going to happen in a bullshit way in this movie. So. 
Every says everything we said about Jesus and the Black Messiah applies to yeah, but so. even like fucking twentyfold man, like this yeah, this shit was next pretty next level for me. I don't know, man. It was just gross, and like it made it was another. It made me sad, much like Judas. Yeah, I was I was just sad. Um, so you like the father? I watched it this morning, mm-hmm. and I will say I won't spoil it. the The closing two and a half to three minutes, I was not super happy about prior to that though the way they pull this off the way they portray the alzheimer's the way they portray anthony hopkins characters mind melting truly caught me off guard (laughs) and that's a huge compliment that was the biggest surprise of this morning is that the father made me cry made me think about a lot of shit made me take a walk afterwards i took a walk and smoked a cigarette around the block thinking about, you know, whether family or otherwise, I, I, I never would have seen this coming, but for me, the biggest surprise of every single category, every single thing is that I think the father is a pretty good fucking movie that really got me. I was completely ready to never see that. And it might take a while before I actually do watch it, but it shows up on like, you know, HBO signature one day or something. (laughs) It's a, yeah. a, as like as ridiculous and fucking, you know, like white girl witch as this sounds. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Here we go. I think uh, yeah, yeah. Get ready for it. Strap in because I mean it. You're gonna want. You're gonna watch it when it's right. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. Hey, you know, you you. We were talking about AI the other night. You watch. You watched AI when you were supposed to rewatch AI. I could use more movies that send me uh, walking around the block, pondering yep. my own mortality like AI did. Um, so yep. getting to this bullshit for the Oscars and trying to actually yep. have an opinion. I mean, it's all about to change because Mortal Kombat dropped on HBO right. Max tonight. Pumped. Um, the second we're done <laughs> here, I'm going to straight over there. It's probably going to suck. Hey, at least it's a hard R. You'll at least have some fun. It'll be gross. Whatever. Yeah, I'm. If maybe Kano will just rip someone's whole skeleton out through their mouth or whatever. Fingers and um, toes crossed. Hoping for a babality or two. Yeah. Um. Listen, we 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 hope you all enjoy the Oscars. We hope if you that, want to. If you want to, I hope you're a winner. I hope the person you picked for your um your office's ballot competition contest thing uh i hope that they win and i hope you're the star of the of the the office at the the end of the day uh i guess final thought about the oscars this year is and i'd have to check to make sure this is true but even though i'm from southern illinois you know i have a lot of love for chicago of course and finally live here now i will say i i don't think the oscars have ever held middle fingers up higher to the city of Chicago than with the nominations of uh, Judas and trial this year. So stay safe out there, Chicago. Fuck these movies. Fuck these movies. Okay. In that, we're going to leave you with that. We'll catch you all on the next one. Thank you. Bye.